I invite you to pray with me. Let us pray together as we thank God and remember the saints who have gone before us. So we give you thanks, O God, for all the saints who ever worshipped you, whether that be in brush arbors or cathedrals, weathered wooden churches or crumbling cement meeting houses, wherever your name was lifted and adored. We give you thanks, God, for the people, the men and women who have worshipped in this place before us, neighbors without homes who were a part of the Skyline Urban Ministry Congregation. And before that, the German Methodists who came here themselves as immigrants and refugees and built this beautiful sanctuary out of their devotion for you. We give you thanks, O God, for the hands that are lifted in praise now and all over the world in the past. Manicured hands or hands stained with grease or oil, strong hands and and hands gnarled with age, all of these holy hands used as wave offerings across the world. We thank you, God, for hard-working saints, whether they wore hard hats or steel boots, whether they had ragged heads or aproned, whether they were blue-collared or three-piece suited. They have left their mark on us, on our earth, for our children to come. So we thank you, God, for these tremendous sacrifices made by those who have gone before us. And in each mind and heart in this place, we now lift up those names that come to mind, and we give you thanks. Bless the memories of your saints, God. May we learn from them. May we continue to learn from their stories retold. May we watch their lives and learn how to walk wisely from their examples of faith and dedication and worship and love. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace, the courage, the wisdom to live our own faithful lives, that the ones who follow behind us may have things to learn from our lives as well. We thank you for the gift of the church, this holy family that we have been adopted into. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. And so we say together, amen and amen. Greet you in the strong and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors. And on this All Saints Sunday, it is good to be among the saints of God. Uh, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews. It's at the end of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. It says chapter 12 in your worship folder. But I'm going to make a couple of adjustments. We have some friends who have Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody would love to bring you a Bible. You can have this as a gift. We need a Bible right back here. Very good. On this family Sunday, our kids are with us. And so I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start with verse uh, 38. Excuse me, verse 39. I'm sorry, verse 39. And I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. 
Before we hear the word of the Lord, uh, to those of you who are above 13 years old, I want to let you know that chapter 11 of Hebrews is PG-13. So I invite you to read that if you'd like. There are some details in it that I'm not going to read because it is Family Worship Sunday. But just to let you know, Christians didn't have an easy time in their first days as a church. So hear the word of the Lord starting with verse 39 of chapter 11. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So after some reflection uh, about the church and about Christianity in general, I've concluded that we are weird. You hang around Christians for very long and you'll hear all kinds of weird things. Rodney Clapp calls Christian people a peculiar people. The very definition of Christian seems to be weird. From our earliest days, Christian Jews weren't understood from the family members in their faith communities. They would go around saying Jesus is Lord when it would probably have been a smarter evangelistic strategy to say Caesar is Lord. I don't know if you know this, but your brand doesn't exactly grow when a group of people invite you to come get killed with us for an invisible king. And then you know what the best part is? You don't have to do it. You get to do it. They've been odd. Christians have been odd in their practices for, for generations. Each brand of Christianity has weird things that it does or doesn't do. Each brand has things that they think are important or unimportant. And you know what the truth is? Christians really don't work very hard to shield that oddness. Ancient rituals and practices that have informed their ethics seemed outdated, like they came out of a dusty old book on the shelf. Now, when I was a kid growing up in church, I, I always felt odd. The little Christian tribe that I was a part of was so strange in light of the folks that, that were in my neighborhood or the kids that were in my swim team or people in my school. People that I knew at church, they met together so often. Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. And sometimes, frankly, I just wanted a break. But my parents made me go like so many of you parents make your kids go. They did all kinds of weird things. They, they would sing together even though the guy leading the singing couldn't sing. And the sound man couldn't hear. They sat in the same seats every week. There was preaching Frankly, I can't remember most of it. And there was always prayer, just tons and tons of prayer. 
Sometimes, every once in a while, somebody would stand up and they'd shout, Pastor, I have something to say. Then, honestly, they'd tell some sort of captivating story that sometimes someone who had smoked too much crack as a young person would just then shout out and say, whatever. I knew no one that talked like us or acted like us or gave like us or met together so often as us or even struggled like us. And I think that might be what is unique about us. The practices that we do not only speak to our identity that is odd, but those, those practices actually, they splash the strangeness wherever we go. We are so sloppy with it. I, I, I just knew as a kid how, how uh, I just knew folks could see how weird we were and they could see us coming from a mile away. We couldn't hide it. We didn't try to hide it. Not only that, we just like even encouraged it. We are an odd group. Strange. We're weird. And this church, friends, is no different. We're a group that's bound together, not because we're the same, but in fact, it's just the opposite. We're bound together because we're different. We're different from one another, and we're different from this world. And what binds us together is the fact that we are bound to a story that includes, includes stuff as strange as the Sermon on the Mount. You, you know that sermon. It's the one where J- Jesus stood on the side of a mountain to teach. Thousands gathered. It was a palooza. Everyone, you know, had heard about the mir- miracles of Jesus. They, they heard about what he was capable of. And some said that he was John the Baptist who had come back to life. Still others thought that he, they said, no, nah, that's not what I heard. He's Elijah reincarnated. Still others thought he was one of the prophets. Now, that might have been cool if he was, you know, come back to life as one of those guys. It, it seemed to cause a lot of attention because crowds would gather and traffic stopped. To gather on the side of the mountain to listen to somebody like this preach was pretty unusual. People only gathered like this in Colosseums. Only, only Caesar could demand this sort of attention. But Jesus was interesting. He, instead of being like Caesar who made them come, they came freely when Jesus spoke. And they would say things like this, think of what a guy like this could do, the disciples would say. We got to harness this firepower somehow. We got to market it, capitalize on this. This has got great recruiting potential. Some of them even thought, if we get an influencer on our side, uh, you know, that may say, I don't know, something like Jesus is king, and then we post commentary all about it on Facebook, we could impact the world for good. This is what the disciples were thinking. But their minds were really blown when he did and said the strangest thing. He sat down there among them, took a child on his knee and said, unless you enter the kingdom of God like this little one, you'll never, you'll never know it. And this got their attention. This child in Jesus' mind was not an annoying distraction from the, the greater, more important things. But holding up this child was a last-ditch effort to help the disciples pay attention to the odd nature of God's kingdom. Few acts are more radical or countercultural than his blessing of kids. And this is, this is where the odd nature of the Christian way of life begins. 
It begins in concrete examples and illustrations. And it's in these that the church assembles reminders that the kingdom of God comes in these subtle, seemingly trivial and insignificant ways. And what is seemingly trivial and insignificant then actually becomes the most profound and revolutionary way the church lives in the world. Jesus' way doesn't seem rational. It seems odd. But what? think about it. What was one thing that Jesus did that was ever rational? Nothing he ever did seemed rational. In fact, he was very strange. And he invited his followers to live in that way. Learning to live odd is like learning to speak a new language. You know, you don't learn to speak a new language unless maybe you're like in a university, but you don't learn to speak a new language by going to hear somebody teach the rules of grammar. Make sure you punctuate, be perfect, be exact, word for word, comma for comma. You understand what I'm saying? Friends, this is funny, please. I'm doing my best. You learn a new language by listening to others speak and then actually imitating them. We don't We don't learn how to live Christianity by simply learning all the right rules, like think for yourself, or first be sure you're right, then go ahead, or let let your conscience be your guide, or love your neighbor, and then we don't learn those rules and then act as Christian. But instead, what we do is we learn the language by being invited to participate in a community of language. We observe others, we listen to them, We look at our elders and we imitate them. And then the rules of how we do it come later, if if after all. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. That this great cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by are the ones that teach us the language. They're the ones who teach us how to live and, and, and how to be with the whether that's with the odd person that's in this community or the odd person that is the neighbor or the odd person that is our interior self. Learning to live the way of Jesus is to do so by listening and learning from those who have gone before us. Most of my life, what I've done is I've always looked for the next thing. I'm always trying to peer around the corner to see what's next. But it's a really interesting thing because Christianity never does that. When I was in college, folks were always in an uproar about what they were going to do. And and I get it. College is a lot of pressure. uh, Where you're going to go, what you're going to major in, how you're going to pay for it. Then once once you're out, what you're going to do. Our family is in that boat right now. We have a high school senior. But it, it never dawned on me that it was... That all was... that The only thing that was expected of me as a person who was in college was to just be a college student. I mean, there's nothing in Christianity that said that I was expected to be anything more than I was. I wasn't expected to be an adult, to have it all together, to have it figured out, to have the course of the next 50 years of my life planned. The Sermon on the Mount never said, blessed are those who know, blessed are you who know who you are. Blessed are you who have all the answers. Blessed are those who reach financial and interpersonal security by the time they're 26. The Sermon on the Mount never said any of that. Christianity and Jesus never expected it. Jesus actually spent very little time talking about the future unless he was saying God's future is coming 
but how many of you can add a day to your life by worrying about it? Nah, he says. Instead, just seek the kingdom. Seek it in the way that it's meant to be sought after, in my way, and, and I'll help you. you. You'll be okay. I, I read that, and I'm like, that is pretty crazy. I mean, doesn't Jesus know what's at stake? Doesn't he understand the complexity and the reality of this world that we live in? How can he be so cliche about things that really matter? I mean, it's a great risk if somebody goes about preaching that way. They might as well get a television show and ask for money. It's, it's Jesus is almost so trite that it's strange. I've said this to you before, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book says this, that the kingdom of God explodes in ordinary things. And Jesus seems to, Jesus seems to imply that the day in and day out, going about, meeting with people, teaching a class, trying to pay for college, writing a letter, fixing the leaky tub or the furnace that won't work, or or going to get good grades, or, or the making of peanut butter sandwiches, or a decision about a job, or the getting to church on time. Well, those things, according to Bonhoeffer, and those things, according to Jesus, those are the very ordinary acts that are actually the very sacred acts of our lives. And that is a very odd way to look at our lives, because it's hard to see the Christian or the virtue in them. I've been wondering about something. Is it hard to see that those ordinary things are actually sacred because we sensationalize Jesus just a little bit too much when we talk about him? I mean, we talk about his miracles, his popularity, his capabilities, his personality, his intelligence. But you know what we hardly ever talk about? We hardly ever talk about the other stuff. Uh, We hardly ever talk about the fact that what made him so remarkable was his inability to travel or to buy, uh, buy his own home or to support himself financially or that he kept the same job even when the work environment wasn't that great and it wasn't they nailed him on the cross later on he kept the same job even when the work environment wasn't that great and he was qualified for a much higher paying position There was not too much, really, that was fancy about Jesus' life. In fact, it was quite hard. And for those who truly follow Jesus, their lives are quite hard as well. Welcome to church. Will Willimon, who's one of my favorite writers, tells the story of a woman that was assaulted in her own backyard in the middle of the day. And after this terrible experience, her her pastor was able to persuade her to undergo therapy and deal with some of the trauma. Well, after a few weeks, her therapist suggested that that she tell someone, someone that's not in her immediate family and and not her pastor, he already knew, about the experience. And so uh, her pastor asked, well, who have you thought about telling? And she said, "I, I think I'd like to tell Sam Smith. Sam Smith was a was sometimes recovering alcoholic in the congregation, and, and the pastor was surprised. He thought that she would have preferred to tell another woman or, or maybe even another man who had it a bit more together than what Sam Smith did. So the pastor asked, why, why Sam? And she said, because Sam has been to hell and back. 
And I think he will know what it has felt like for me to go there. And perhaps he can tell me how to get out. I, I think that is what is so interesting to me about the people that follow Jesus. You know, they don't go about really changing the world. They just don't have it together enough. Nothing is fancy, but instead they're just, we're just all odd. Unconventional, peculiar, strange, weird. We're just like he was. But, but Christian people are also those who are, who are and have found their way through hell and back. And who, like our Lord, are being healed by their wounds. Christian people are strange individuals. There's some of those, you know, they're those who find some sort of security or some sort of satisfaction with being in a community of other very strange people whose ethics and behaviors and standards of living have arisen from and have been shaped by regularly listening to the Jesus story and hooking their wagon to a master like Jesus. In a strange way, those kinds of folks uh, that we call these people that we call saints of the past and saints of the presence, well, they say this. They, they listen to the stories of others and follow in their way as they follow Jesus. And when they do that, it arrests them towards hope. They're bound in this story. They've collectively agreed that the language of morality and ethics and practices from from them are make them even more odd than they already are and they're committed to it and they say this is good news it's good news that makes us odd that very hope is what puts us at odds with the world around us pastor mikhail already said this but november 1st is all saints day and here at our church we take the month of november to talk about the saints those who have been very odd it's important to remember the story of the saints, those who have walked in the way of Jesus and whose stories have had influence over us, those stories that have shaped us by their living and their lives and their living into a greater story, those who frankly are remembered because they are so strange. Some saints are venerated, they're held in high esteem, and they're remembered because they performed some sort of miracle or they were the right person at the right time that did the right thing. But Paul calls all baptized Christian people saints. Those whose names uh, we know and can Google and help us to recall when we do that. It helps us to recall the millions of odd and ordinaries that could never be Googled. And otherwise may never ever be remembered. But their influence still moves with us, within us today. You know, their stories help us cause us to reflect on our own so we must not forget them and we tell the story of the saints because they are so surprising they are just that odd but they're no more surprising than the amazing resources for the odd and the exemplary living of the members in any ordinary congregation including this one a saint you know may be a grandmother or a teacher, or a neighbor. It may be somebody from your past. It may be somebody from your present. It may be somebody that was so odd and ordinary that they stand out in your mind in strange and peculiar ways. And it is in this, through these ordinary activities of these ordinary kinds of people, 
that the kingdom of God bursts forth. So an author I read recently told a story of growing up in the segregated South at a time when his town was in the throes of school desegregation. He says a white, uh, white citizens group had been formed to fight the court's desegregation order. It was a tense and frightening situation. A meeting was called in the high school to discuss the tactics for fighting the racial integration of the schools. In a packed auditorium, speaker after speaker condemned the court's order and urged people to resist. Then someone well into the tension-filled, somewhat into the well-tension-filled evening, the pastor of a local Baptist church came in. With great dignity and presence, he walked to the front of the auditorium and he took a seat. He listened for a while. Then he rose to speak. And when the presider saw him rise, he immediately yielded the microphone and invited him to speak. The pastor who had been serving in, that con- in a congregation there in that small community for decades spoke in deliberate, grave tones. And he said, I am ashamed. I am ashamed. I have labored here for many years. I have baptized, preached to, and counseled with many in this room. I might have thought that my preaching of the gospel had done some good, but tonight I think differently. I cannot speak to those of you who are not in my congregation, but to those who are, I can only say that I'm hurt and I'm ashamed of you, and I have expected more. He then left the podium, walked out the auditorium, and the meeting resumed awkwardly. But one by one, most of the members of the Baptist church quietly left the room until the auditorium was half empty and the meeting dribbled off into adjournment with no action taken. The schools integrated the next month without incident. And here was a pastor, an ordinary person, who labored for decades doing ordinary things like baptisms and marriages among ordinary people for the privilege of being a witness on one night in August. Now, Christianity is more than just a mere head trip. It's a way of life together, a strange way of life together. And we only become Christian when someone else that we admire and we want to emulate looks over their shoulder and invites us into that way and teaches us that language. And saints are those historical examples of people that we might emulate. The Apostles' Creed is this ancient confession about what we believe about God. He is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And it says that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, he descended to hell. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And we have no need to worry because the future is in his hands because from there, it is from there that he will be be the one that will come to judge the living and the dead. The confession continues. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church Universal. And we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in that amazing group of odd people who have hitched their wagon to the story that is our salvation and to this master whose name is Jesus. And because of him, they have made their journey 
through hell and back. And do you know how I know? Because they say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen, which means that it will be forever and ever. You know, the table of the Lord is the way in which we practice the story into our lives. Another way is to say it, it's the way by which we learn the new language. It's also the way by which we get to join this great cloud of witnesses. So we remind one another every single week that Jesus on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, at dinner took the bread and he gave thanks and then he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood and whenever you drink of it, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. This is the way in which we participate in the larger story that is quite odd. The early Christians had a reputation they were so strange. In fact, rumors went around that they were cannibals because they ate the body of their Lord and drank his blood. As strange as that might sound, it actually saves us. So you are invited to sit at the table with this Lord and this great cloud of witnesses. Everyone who is open to the transforming work of Christ, which happens at this table, you are welcome. And I want to make sure that you know that you're welcome into this community that is so strange, that is so odd. We are a peculiar group of people. Everyone who is open to believe in this good work and longs for a community like this to be a part of the work of, that is so strange and so odd, the part of the work that the great cloud of witnesses have begun as they witnessed it first in the person of our Savior, we welcome you to this table. Here is where we live in a strange tension, that we follow the one who was the victim of this world and says to his friends, do not worry because I have overcome it. I want to let you know that we want no barriers. Our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic. I invite you to exit the left side of your row. Come down our aisle and come down with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here. We receive it because it is a gift. So dip the bread into the cup after listening to what these have to say to you. And then eat it and be thankful. If for any reason you're not able to come down our aisle, wave at Justin. He'd love to come and serve you. Friends, this table is set for you. And when you come to this table, you are joining a group that is so strange and so much bigger than you could ever realize. So I invite you to this table when you are ready to come.